Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Los Angeles, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And joining us off the practice field in his car, it's keeping it dad to the bone. It's the coach, Corey Burton. Well, you know, hashtag dad to the bone. And my favorite hashtag, uh, hashtag year of the third face. So, um, ready to get a good show started here. We're preparing um, our team. We just got done preparing our team for the final time this week for our road trip to Memphis to take on Whitehaven, so hopefully our boys will go there and fight and uh, maybe even uh, come out with a victory. I don't know. That's That's why they play the games. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one, but you never know, Coach. Uh, But we need to introduce the third amigo in the second city, a man who uh, genuinely appreciated the unseasonable uh, thunderstorms yesterday in the Windy City. It's our intrepid blogger from the Big Ten Accounting, Josh Cook. Yeah, it was like uh, some nice summer showers here in the city and a weird twist of fate that uh, there would have been a rain delay in Game 7 regardless of where they played it. Yeah, that's uh, pretty crazy. So um, I'm sure that um, – I know that you were not exactly rooting for the Cubs, but uh, I'm sure that you saw many a person who was um, down in your neck of the woods. But, um, so- yeah, a few, a few Cubs fans joined the bandwagon this year. Yeah, just a few. Um, Anyhow, uh, it's week 10. We've got a lot of big games, but we're going to start like we always do with some quick slants. But we're taking taking this as a slant and go, though, uh, on our first one this week. And a little slant and go, a little pump fake there by the quarterback. Let him get over the top. But um, we really wanted to discuss the Big Ten's ruling of starting Friday night football, uh, starting next year, in fact, six games per year. And uh, this has caused a lot of backlash, and I can completely understand why. Um, Coach, actually, you should probably understand why more than anyone. Friday night is, is high school football time. You've got to leave that to you leave that to the high school kids because it kills you in recruiting. You know, kids can't visit if it's a Friday night game. So I don't know. There, and there's a lot of logistical problems with this. Then the rulings point out, oh, well, certain campuses won't do it because their stadiums are too big. So then is this the kind of policy that is, you know, just for sort of the second and third tier of the Big Ten to get them to have more games on in prime time or what? Josh, what do you think is you know, sort of motivating all this? I think it's TV revenue. It's Jim Delaney being – Greedy yet again, it's going to bite him in the bullet because we've seen it with the NFL ratings that are way, way down. The overexposure doesn't work out. And the whole rule about worrying about the stadium size means that we're going to get a whole bunch of Purdue versus Rutgers type matchups. And the other thing that is like concerning for me as an Iowa fan is uh, Kinnick is right around 70. It's right smack dab in the middle of the league sizes. So they're kind of on the borderline where they'll probably be forced to have a bunch of these. But uh, the stadium's going to be empty. And the reason it's going to be empty is so many fans travel from Des Moines, 
which is two hours away. That's the state capital and largest city. Uh, so many fans travel from Chicago, which is four hours away. Um, it, the, the stadium cannot serve Iowa City alone. We have so many fans that travel, and it, it's going to be empty. It's going to be an eyesore. It's going to look terrible if Iowa has to host a Friday night game. And also, um, the the stadium is right across the street from the hospital. And just the logistics that the hospital has to go through for their one Friday night game each year, the Thanksgiving game, they host it with Nebraska every other year. They go through so many hoops in order to be able to serve their community because people have doctor's appointments on Fridays. Um, it's going to be a nightmare. And I don't know what the hospital is going to do. And I know this is greedy to talk about Iowa, but you you make me a Purdue fan, you make me a Minnesota fan, everyone's going to have the exact same concerns. You know, Minnesota, that's a big city. Primetime traffic on a Friday? Are you kidding me? How are people going to get to the kickoff in time? Now, it, it's a money grab by who I thought was the second worst commissioner to Bob Bullsby, but... I might have to reevaluate. I think Jim Delaney might be the, the worst commissioner. So uh, it's it's sad, and um, I'm kind of glad Michigan is already sticking out their middle finger and saying we're never going to host one of these and we're never going to participate in one of these. I like I, that. I, I didn't – yeah, so I think that going along with that, I'm glad Michigan did too. And Wisconsin has, like, to a degree, they said, the only time we will play in one is if it's the – Friday before Labor Day weekend, and we um, don't host. Yeah, Michigan State said they were willing to host, but would only do it on the Labor Day weekend. Yeah, and, and I'm, go ahead. Oh, uh, I'm okay with the if it's a once a year Labor Day weekend kind of thing. I'm not. I'm not super against that. If it's but if we're talking, you know, uh, mid October, I, I don't need to see a Friday night game in you know, in Madison or in Columbus on, you know, Friday, October 23rd, you know, it, it doesn't add anything. In fact, it detracts from the event, from everything. And coach, I want to bring you in here for a second on this because you've had guys go on official visits and it has to be during a Saturday home game for so many logistical reasons, but how much of a recruiting disadvantage is that having your, you know, having a, a Friday night game? I mean, it's a total disadvantage because that's when coaches go out and evaluate. You know, you know, you go on a, even when coaches go on a road trip, like like this weekend in Kentucky, the coaches probably left from the hotel to go out and recruit and come back Saturday morning. I mean, it's, you know, for the coaches, they can't get out and see games Friday night. And for the kids, they can't get up and, and see, uh, see campus. And that might be the only chance that they get. So, Essentially, you're screwing the kids out of a chance to visit your university. It might be the only chance that they get um, because of scheduling-wise and because, you know, you may not have another home game until later on, and then they, they might have – you might be going up against another home game, and that's why the kid wanted to come to this particular game versus the next home game. Um, so, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't get it at all. I mean, I, I wish college would just stay away from Friday nights altogether. Um, unless it's like the Friday after Thanksgiving, which is okay. That's, that's a traditional uh, good time slot for football. And uh, 
also the Friday before Labor Day, just kind of get things kicked off. That kickoff weekend is okay. <clears throat> That's acceptable. And even then, uh, you're running into some uh, high school football logistical nightmares, and you're kind of screwing yourself out of an evaluation period there, too. Um, I don't like it at all. Uh, the matchups are going to be bad. Nobody's going to watch. Nobody's going to be there. I think it's just one of those ideas where it sounds good. Oh, let's have football Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It just doesn't it, – it, it screams that, you know, they're going to overpromise, underproduce, and it's going to be probably – and the product on the field is going to be dreadful. Yeah, and it, and it feels like, you know, the that Delaney didn't even talk about this with any of the ADs or anything, just kind of announced it. Yeah, and another another concern is I, I realize that Pac-12 has Friday night games, and I realize that the ACC has Friday night games, um, but neither of those conferences have hockey, and I doubt we have too many listeners that love college hockey, but the way those series works is you have a Friday night game and a Saturday night game, and part of the college hockey season overlaps with football, and I know it was rare, but whenever Wisconsin had one of those two-sport weekends, the football game had to be an 11 o'clock game, so that way the fans that wanted to go to both weren't screwed over. If it's Friday night and there's also a hockey night, who's going to go to the hockey game? So you're, you're messing up two sports. You're going to have a half-filled football stadium and then a quarter-filled hockey stadium. So now De- Delaney is – messing up two sports. It's a horrible decision. And on top of that, you know, and it's not just hockey that suffers. And hockey is a revenue sport for some of the schools in the Big Ten, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, Michigan State. It's a, it's a revenue-producing sport for for these schools. That's a big problem. But even the non-revenue sports, think about something like wrestling. Um, you know, they're having Friday night duels every week uh, you know, during the season. They'll start those in November. And, Women's you know, soccer. Yeah, you exactly. know, that, That's a big sport in the fall. Yeah, so it's just it, it's so I, I just I don't understand it at all, and it feels like I'm going to come off as haughty Big Ten fan. It feels beneath us, like it, it just it's so gimmicky. And well, the the last thing too that always needs to be brought up it, with short week type games is what about player safety? What happens if you're Penn State? You play that seven thirty prime time game. So that's 8.30 local time. So it gets done around 11.30. So you're back to your dorm and all that by what? Like 1, 2 in the morning. So your Sunday is shot. And then you're finding out that you're playing the Friday primetime game in Bloomington. So then you're traveling either Thursday or maybe... No, you're definitely traveling Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah, or maybe Wednesday. I don't know. But, like... When is the time for those students to, you know, recover, practice, watch film, all the football stuff on top of all the quote-unquote academic stuff? You have to say, like, what about going to class? Like, what, what about simply going to class, you know? Yeah, that, that's not going to happen. I mean, you know, when UT had their uh, season opener on that Thursday, uh, they canceled classes for the day because – and this is why SEC teams can't do it because – you're essentially having to close down campus for a day uh, to allow the tailgaters to come in because those tailgaters will come in days before park their RVs, and it's a it's a nightmare um, trying to get around. Like if you go to a college campus on a Friday afternoon, you got people setting up for Saturday, and it's it's tough. It's tough sledding 
get around. Um, I can only imagine if, that, if the game was that night. You know, you're, you're screwing up. Not only are you canceling classes on Thursday, but you're making it a nightmare to get to class on Thursday, the day before. So essentially you're wiping out two days of class. Um, a lot of kids aren't going to fool with going to campus the day before a, a big Big Ten game because of the because of the tailgate and the and the RVs. I, I don't know how much I don't know how many RV tailgaters y'all get uh, up in Big Ten country. I know the Nexus Heat game wouldn't work at all, um, but you know you, essentially you're losing two academic days. You're losing you know an evaluation period um, for the coaches. You're losing official visit time for yourself. You're losing a lot of revenue. Um, because attendance is probably not going to be as good because uh, places like Iowa have, they rely more on their outreach than they do on the actual uh, Iowa City. Um, it just, I, I don't like anything about it, to be honest with you. So, you know, in that aspect, too, you know, you're screwing your academics as well, which is never good. Yeah, and we're talking about the academics of the football players. Uh, Matt, I know you, and you know me. If Wisconsin had a Friday night game, would we be going to our Friday afternoon classes? Heck no. <laughs> no, we'd be, we'd be sitting around pregame. Well, hey, hey, freshman mistake if you've got Friday afternoon classes in the first place. Let's, I mean, let, let, let's not get that twisted. That, that is a complete freshman mistake. You've got to know how to schedule classes around the more important things in life. Um, so I, I'm just going to go, you know what, Delaney, that was a freshman mistake. Good job. Good job. You know, I, this, this is a total – total debacle for for the conference and it just it looks bad i'm i'm ready to move on and talk about some well, better things going on in the conference i guess to just i guess to just tie a bow on it too as i don't like the friday night games for any league and the only reason why i kind of tolerate them in the acc is it seems like the acc does a really good job of having schools <clears throat> that are very close to each other <clears throat> play those games like we have so many teams in the state of north carolina that it always kind of – I haven't looked at the schedules. So I don't know if this is fully true, but it, it always feels like it's, you know, Clemson-Wake Forest as the Friday game. It's just a, or Virginia-Virginia Tech or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a short enough trip that it – Or Clemson-Boston College, that was a Friday night game. I know. That was a weird one. I guess and, that's the exception that proves the rule. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I know. That's, that's a good point. But, you, you know – I hear you all around. I – Friday night, stay away from Friday night. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, that's, that's high school time. You know, stay away from Friday nights. No one needs to see exposure is killing the sport right now. No one, no one needs to see Minnesota at Rutgers at you know six thirty Eastern on Saturday night or seven thirty Eastern, whenever they want to put it on. So, coach, we're going to move on to you. Um, uh, yes, I, I'm going to. You know what? I'm going to. Uh, I know I told you my order before we before we jumped on here, but I'm going to flip that order. Um, and I'm going to start with uh, – I'm going to go to the Mountain West, my, my newly adopted uh, conference. And I'm going to talk about the Cowboys of Wyoming. Uh, they got a very important contest this weekend um, because – and I say this again, this is their next big test. You know, they had the major statement pro- program statement win. They beat Boise last week. Uh, now they now they got to come back and do it all again. Uh, and the team they're playing against is not exactly playing high-level football. Uh, Utah State came in. They they had, they had a three-game losing streak. They snapped that two weeks ago. So it looked like they were going to start to get back on track. Then they hosted San Diego State. They uh, they took it on the chin, 40 to 13. Um, but uh, you know now they're they're coming uh, on the road to Wyoming, looking for uh, an upset special. Um, 
Kent Myers, uh, he's the true dual threat. The Cowboys can, can contain him a little bit there. Uh, his, uh, his favorite target, uh, Colston Green, or Jaron Colston Green, I should say. Um, he only had two catches for 30 yards last week. So, um, you know, San Diego State did a good job of, uh, of, of covering him up. So for Wyoming, you know, they can, they can hurt you two different ways. You have Josh Allen. Uh, who a week ago was 18 of 31 for 274 yards and three touchdowns. He did throw a pick in there as well. Um, managed the game well all day long against the Broncos. Um, and when it wasn't him, it was uh, it was Brian Hill who rushed for 146 yards on 28 carries. So they not only get it done through the air, they get it done on the ground as well. Um, Allen, his two favorite targets, Tanner Gentry and Jacob Hollister, uh, also had big games for them, and, and Josh, we, we, we did that in the, in, the, in the recap, so I won't get too much into that. So if you look at uh, the offensive side of the ball, you got to look at Wyoming uh, as, as having the upper hand here because, you know, Myers is a dual-threat guy, but I think Wyoming could hurt you in many different ways with Allen, with Hill, uh, with those receivers, Gentry and Hollister, um, all those guys. That, that those, those have become big weapons for Coach Bowl out there in Laramie defense. Uh, they held Boise State to 28 points. That says a lot. Um, and uh, I think with uh, with Utah State struggling to kind of find a rhythm, even though Myers is such a good quarterback, I think that they will they will find a way to keep him contained and just kind of keep him on the run all day long. That's kind of the game plan there. Special teams, um, Cooper Roth has missed six field goals for Wyoming. Uh, hashtag uh, year of the third phase. Hopefully – you know, for Wyoming's sake, this doesn't come back to bite them, but this could be a huge advantage for Utah State. They could probably steal a couple of possessions here, uh, block a field goal, uh, things things along those lines. So Utah State will be looking to this third phase here to uh, to hopefully gain an edge. Um, you know, Craig Bowl has done a great job. You know, if you look at coaching, you've got to kind of look at, uh, you know, <clears throat> Utah State. They've won uh, the last four games against Wyoming, so they have an edge in the series so far. Uh, Wyoming looking to get back off the schneid. So, um, you know, I, I like Wyoming to kind of bounce back and win this game. I think they're a mature program now. I think they've kind of just figured out how to play within themselves and how to do what they do without getting too high or too low. So um, I think Wyoming's going to keep on the winning train. I really like this Cowboys team, and I hope that they're on TV, and, and I hope that I'm still awake um, after for my uh, grueling four-hour bus ride to and from uh, Memphis tomorrow night so I could watch them um, on TV. So that's the, that's the Wyoming Cowboys. I think this is their next statement game as, hey, it wasn't a fluke that we beat Boise State. We're for real. All right. All right. Well, um, Josh, we're going to uh, slip it out to your first slant now, and uh, you're going to take a look at one of the top games in the Big Ten. Yeah, you know, we're we're talking about the the game with OSU and Nebraska, obviously, but there's a there's a fantastic undercard to keep an eye on, and that is Wisconsin traveling down to Evanston to take on Northwestern. And I know Badger fans are looking at their schedule and they're going, hmm, four unranked teams. We host the team with the best record, Minnesota, in the finale, and they've cleaned Minnesota's clock every year. Lately, uh, they travel to Purdue. That's a joke of a game. They host Illinois. That's another joke of the game. Northwestern, though, this is the this is the big test. And 
Wisconsin fans might just sort of see Northwestern as four and four, but this Wildcat team has really, really turned it around, and they've done so with some incredible quarterback play from Clayton Thorson. He's got 15 touchdowns to just six interceptions last year, all told for the entire season. He had eight TDs to four picks, so he's playing way better. His completion percentage still not up to 60, but it's actually four points better than last year. His quarterback rating is five points higher than it was last year. He's playing really well, and it's because of Austin Carr. Uh, this was a team that we, way back during the preview, if you want to go back and listen to our August shows, we talked about how Northwestern had really no wide receiver core. They had pulled a third-string running back to help. They had sw- switched a reserve defensive player to the wide receiver core. So it was no ones. It was a bunch of no ones. And Austin Carr um, was good last year at times. He had some flashes. He had over 300 receiving yards, 16 carries, or 16 receptions. He he seemed like a guy that could maybe uh, help round out this, this ragtag group. And he's been thoroughly impressive. 58 receptions for 878 yards. So the Northwestern offense is way better than we expected. The defense at the top ten like they were last were last year, but they've been playing a lot better during the winning streak and obviously almost pulling off the upset at Ohio State. But the weirdest thing about this game is if Wisconsin fans out there are thinking that Northwestern's been a thorn in their side but doesn't quite know, I, I looked it up. They have been an absolute, absolute thorn in the side. So – uh, Wisconsin won 13 straight at one point. It ended in 1984. Um, Matt, since 1984, the two schools have played a combined 25 times. Do you know the record? I assume that it's Northwestern. Um, I'm, I'm going to say Northwestern 21-13-1. and one. <laughs> uh, no, Northwestern, since 1984, they've played 25 times. Northwestern leads 13 to 12. Oh, that is super and, close. And the Wildcats have won the last two. So this is this Northwestern team is not afraid at all to play. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald just knows how to coach against certain teams. He's done it against Iowa. It's... It's annoying when Pat Fitzgerald starts uh, cleaning your clock, but that's what he does. And um, I know it's not a short week in terms of, like, the traditional very, very short week, but Wisconsin did play a primetime overtime game last Saturday, and now they have to play an 11 a.m. game in Evanston. That's a small stadium. It's going to be kind of a sleepy stadium. But if Wisconsin just goes through the motions and sleepwalks through the first half, they might be done. So it's a huge game for the Badgers. I'm terrified as a Badger fan. I am, I am too. I this, honestly, I feel I felt way more confident about being Nebraska last week than I do about beating Northwestern this week. Like, well, hey, hey, Matt, it was a huge day for the well, was it yesterday. Uh, two days ago. Two days ago, getting. Yeah, they, uh, they they landed three com- or three commits within like thirty six hours on Monday and Tuesday. Um, three or four. My receiver from Texas, Emmett Perry, is going to be a going to be a playmaker there. And 
I'm starting to like that running back from New Jersey more and more and more, uh, Jonathan Taylor. And uh, the, the Juco kid, I don't know much about him. Yeah, they landed a four-star Juco, which never happens. Uh, Van, I think his name is like Van Winkle or something like that. And he's uh, going to play outside linebacker, as well as they flipped the number one long snapper in the country from Mizzou. So, uh, yeah, four guys in 36 hours was kind of crazy. But, um, yeah, so Wisconsin recruiting – going pretty well i'd say for um you know for a change but uh this weekend though i'm terrified they are going to need the offensive line to really start gelling and ground in you know start grounding down on um on northwestern's defense because if it's close i have i I just i have this feeling in my stomach that northwestern is going to win and just put a pin in everything so uh coach what is uh, what have you got for your uh second slant today well, I'm going to go to another uh, scary homer, homer game here as uh, the Bulldogs take a trip up to Lexington, Kentucky to, uh, to take on the Wildcats. Um, they're going to kick off at 6.30 Central Time. So, uh, interesting contest because uh, at the beginning of the year and even, in, even as the season got underway, uh, we were talking about, well, one of the things we mentioned uh, – either amongst ourselves or maybe even on air. I can't remember exactly when, but uh, we were talking about how bad Kentucky was, how pitiful they were, how much worse they were than we ever gave them credit for. And, you know, we were hammering them and, well, maybe, you know, maybe we should change our first fire in the SEC to Mark Stoops and, you know, all of this stuff. But um, it seems that they've turned that thing around a little bit. Uh, they've won three in a row, actually. Um, they're in the SEC East race. They're going to need a little help, though, because they are losers to Florida. So uh, Florida's got that tiebreaker if they finish with the same exact record. Um, but, uh, you know, Florida doesn't exactly have an easy schedule um, coming up. So uh, there is that chance. But, you know, for Kentucky, they've got to get a win this weekend um, at home against Georgia for that even to matter. So, uh, you know, they have Boone Williams and Benny Snell. Um, they made quick work of Missouri. They were they pounded Missouri 35-21, and my God, Missouri has gotten worse and worse every week. That's the team that's kind of fell apart, um, to say the least. But uh, for Georgia, you know, it's just got to, you know, you said Wisconsin has offensive line problems, so does Georgia. Georgia's got to find some answers. You know, maybe they got to shuffle some guys around. Brandon Kublano's not the answer at the center. Maybe they need to get uh, Isaiah Wynn over to left tackle. Maybe they need to bring some guys up from uh, that are reserves right now. Um, you know, maybe, I don't know. I don't know what the answers are, but right now the current lineup they have is not, and so they need to find some answers there on the offensive line. You have you have two great backs and, and one really good freshman back uh, that chips in with some carries with uh, Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, and uh, Brian Harrion. So you know, you get those three backs going, and it could be a long day for the opposition. However, they haven't been able to do that, and they just need to find some consistency. Defense is starting to gel. Defense is starting to play well. Right? When when defense when the defense is not put uh, with their backs against the wall time and time again, I, but, you know they play well. They're physical. They're fast. They get after you. They flow to the ball. They gang tackle. They they get turnovers. I mean, they they are they are a matchup nightmare. They're doing a tremendous job on the side of the ball. Uh, special teams. You're the third face. Hashtag. You're the third face has got to be better for Georgia. Um, I don't know the exact ranks of it all, but I know that when you don't punt over 30 yards per per attempt, and if you get 
if you get yourself in the same situation against Kentucky, um, and even though, and even with Drew Barker out, Steven Johnson is more than capable enough to uh, to make you pay for for giving him a uh, good field position. So, you know, you're on the road in a place that you already have trouble playing at for whatever reason. Um, you know, it's not going to get any easier for this bunch because Kentucky's playing the best football they've played since Mark Stoops was hired. So, um, going to be a tough matchup defensively. They got to find an answer against the run. Um, typically, they typically they do, they do well against the run. So, um, it plays right into their matchup there against the pass. They just need to be opportunistic. They need to get pressure on Steven Johnson and just force him into some mistakes. Um, offensively, they just got to keep the ball. But you know, plain and simple. Move the chains, even even if you even if you don't score every drive, you know, move the chains, keep yourself in positive field position, defense go to work because eventually you'll get your chances. Eventually you'll you'll break them. Um, but just got to stay in front of the chains, got to stay in, in good positive field position, and can't give up stupid penalties. Special teams got to cover, got to tackle, and you got to kick. Right? You got to got to have good punts out of Marshall Long this week. Uh, they even brought in third string quarterback Bryce Ramsey to do some playing. He even he had a terrible day as well. They got to find an answer at punter. Kicker Rodrigo Lopez is getting better each and every week. He's starting to kick the ball in the end zone on kickoffs. He's starting to be more accurate on his field goals. So that aspect of special teams is actually improving. Now if we just get the coverage units to do well. I think you're I think you're in business. So for Georgia, they just got to be consistent. You know, they've got to be in good field position. They've got to be smart. And they've got to manage the game. They've got to get themselves through the game. They've got to open up run lanes. For Chubb and Michelle, defensively, just get after. For Kentucky, they've got to establish the run. They've got two great running backs there with Boone Williams and uh, Brandon Snell, and uh, they've they've got to establish the run as well. They've got to get it going. They've got to or Benny Snell. I mean, I'm sorry. They've got to uh, they've got to give Stephen Johnson some chances to do his thing, and they can't do that if they're one dimensional. So um, I think it's going to be a competitive game. I think it's going to be a hard fought game. I do think Georgia's going to come out and win because they're due. They they haven't – ever since they've played Ole Miss, they just haven't been the same. Or ever since they lost to Tennessee, I should say, uh, in overtime, they just haven't been the same. And uh, and they're not a confident bunch, and this will go a long way in getting their confidence back. Now, even though it's Kentucky, they're in contention for the SEC East. So you got to take that into account. So um, it's, going to be a, it's going to be a hard-fought game. I think Georgia's going to win it. Um, I think they're going to win it late. So uh, I like the Bulldogs here. Um, that's nothing against Kentucky. I just think Georgia is, is due. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's always – I think you, you have sort of like a light version of the feeling that Josh and I have going in at Northwestern like you do going at Kentucky for Georgia. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm underneath. I'm, I'm sick to my stomach terrified of uh, just how – you know, because it's just – it could be detrimental to the development of your program for a first-year coach to lose this many games in a row and to just keep losing the way that we've been losing. It's just just one of those feelings like, you know, like the one thing that could happen for Kentucky, if they get a run game going, it's, it's, that's it. It's over. Yeah. Well, um, I'm going to do my uh, final quick, quick slant here on uh, five big games in the FCS this weekend because there are four big top 25 matchups and a, a game between the number one and number two teams in the Ivy League, and that is where I will start. Um, we've got uh, Penn at Princeton. 
Uh, not who we expected coming into the season to be atop of the conference, but it uh, this year Princeton's defense has been outstanding, especially against the run. They're number five in all of FCS against the run. Contrast styles in this game because Penn has the number one rushing attack in the conference, led by Trey Solomon, who leads the league in yards and yards per carry. So um, going to be a hard-fought one down in New Jersey. I think that the Princeton defense will hold up against uh, Penn's rushing attack and bring home a big win to put Princeton in the driver's seat for the Ivy League. Um, elsewhere, uh, number five, James Madison, takes on number six, Richmond, in what is possibly the game of the week in FCS. Uh, the number six Spiders of Richmond um, have a great se- uh, junior quarterback, sorry, Kyle Laletta who has been, uh, you know, he's number 11 in total yards um, in FCS uh, throwing the ball. And he has been, uh, you know, a little mistake prone at time, but he has put up some big numbers for this team. Um, and, uh, uh, but both of these teams have some pretty solid defenses. Uh, it's going to be a very close, too close to call, but I think Richmond has the home field advantage in this one to take it. Um, out in the, uh, another big game in the big sky when number three Eastern Washington heads to San Luis Obispo to take on the Mustangs of Cal Poly. East, Eastern Washington quarterback Gage Gabrud is lapping the field in passing stats this year with 3,198 yards and 31 touchdowns already. However, Cal Poly leads FCS in almost every single rushing stat. So, um, again, another uh, game that has a big contrast of styles, uh, another big conference game, and one that's going to have a lot of points. I'm going to take Eastern Washington on the road in a close one, 55-52. Huge matchup in the Missouri Valley Conference. Number 13, Youngstown State, uh, headed up by uh, former Nebraska head coach Bo Pelini, travels to five-time reigning national champion North Dakota State. Um, Both of these teams, uh, A, great mascots, uh, Penguins and Bison, B, they love to pound the ball, and C, they love to play defense. Both teams in the top 25 in total defense and in total rushing. Uh, It's going to be an absolute slugfest um, up there. And uh, I think that uh, because they've got the home field, North Dakota State should win. Probably I'm saying going to win by 10 to 14 points. And we're going to see a very angry Bo Pelini on the sideline getting very red in the face at some point. Uh, finally, uh, number 18, Samford, num- heads to number seven, the Citadel, um, in one of a uh, – Great matchup in the Southern Conference this weekend. The Citadel Bulldogs are one of the biggest surprises in all of FCS, starting the year 8-0, and and their triple option attack has been moving. Um, yeah, they're a flex-bone team. I love them. Yeah, they and they look great. They're averaging 363 yards per game on the ground, and they're number 13 in total defense. Great combination there. Uh, but Samford, on the under, other hand, spectacular air raid offense. They put up 41 uh, in Starkville last weekend. I know that, you know, Stark Vegas, uh, is, uh, you know, the home team there, Mississippi State, not exactly the best the SEC has to offer, but still putting up 41 on a Power 5 opponent when you're in FCS school, that's pretty impressive to me. Uh, another game, another contrast of styles. Um, but I think that the Citadel's dream season is going to stay alive they will continue to be unbeaten. So that is my uh, weekend preview for the FCS. Um, if you're, you know, bored and flipping around on Saturday, check out one of these games. You will see, uh, you know, a lot of talent and a lot of different approaches. A couple of these teams, Cal Poly, Citadel, great triple option attacks, whereas Eastern Washington, Samford, they're going to, you know, they're going to go air raid all day. So, um 
should be a fun weekend uh, down for uh, FCS competition. So uh, now it's time for us to move on to our uh, uh, possibly our second favorite segment, um, which is the game of the week. Uh, this week, we have Washington heading to Berserkly to take on Cal. Uh, this is a, uh, you know, Utah, uh, sorry, uh, Washington is coming off of a big win in Utah last weekend. And, you know, it's going to be a night game in Berkeley. Weird things happen. Um, you know, and I think that Cal's uh, offense, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, obviously Cal cannot stop Washington, but they can definitely score points in bunches. So, uh, Josh, do you think that the Golden Bears can pick up uh, the big upset here? Oh, I don't know if they could pick it up, but Cal's certainly been frisky. They beat Utah at home. They beat Texas at home. Uh, they beat Oregon at home. So they are oh, – right, right? Yeah, so they are they are a much much better team in Berkeley, uh, but that that defense you brought it up, Matt. They're 124th of the country. They're allowing almost 42 points per game. It's it's difficult to have a negative point differential when you average 41.3, but Cal's somehow done it. Um, I think this will be a fun game, and not only is it a night game, but it's the this super late 9.30 central time game. This is when everyone else is asleep and Coach and I are, are sitting, sitting on our sofa Saturday night, 10 p.m., watching football. Um, these are always yeah. crazy games. But uh, I do think Washington will, will uh, prevail, but this is a great track game to have because Cal does play very well at home. Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm a West Coast dog fan, uh, I'm scared about this game. I'm scared. Uh, because of the stuff that happens in Friday night in uh, Berserkly. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where it just seems like all the energy gets sucked out of the visiting team. I, I, I don't understand it because you have a defense that's that bad uh, and an offense put up 70 on a defense that's probably twice as good as yours on, on the road. Um, and I'm talking about Oregon here. Uh, and that's bad when Oregon's defense is twice as good as, as, as yours um, at Cal. So, um, you know, on paper, uh, Washington should come in and wipe the floor with Cal. You know, on paper. Everything that, that Washington has going for them with Jake Browning and, and just the amount of points they're able to put up, the amount of yarders they're able to, to rack up. And it just, it just seems like on paper that should happen. But, you know, Cal doesn't read the paper. Um, they just come in, they play hard, uh, and they do what they do. And, and you know, seems like at night against big-time opponents, I think they somehow kind of put the pressure – they put all the pressure on the opponent, and then the opponent makes the mistakes, and then they capitalize. You know, one thing that Cal is is very opportunistic. And if you screw up, they're going to be right there to capitalize. And then once you screw up enough – you know, there's going to be – they're going to capitalize enough to where it's going to be insurmountable and there's nothing you can really do about it. And, and teams have learned that the hard way. So if Washington comes in and plays a clean game, they'll blow them out, no problem. But if they come in uh, as a late, late road game, um, like teams are prone to do in late, late road games, is make – commit stupid penalties, turn the ball over a couple of times. Next thing you know, Cal's in this game. And if Cal's in this game, they're going to win. Um, but yeah, if you put them down early, and David, it'll be a blowout. 
Davis Webb is, you know, statistically right up there with Pat Mahomes uh, as, you know, one of the top two or three passers in uh, the entire country. So, yeah. uh, and, 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 and this team offensively is no slouch. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they are crazy on offense, but probably even crazy on defense with how bad it is. Um, seven, the, uh, I, will say, Matt, I will say, Matt, before you go, this is probably the best it's a trap game uh, that we've picked all season long because this is very intriguing. And, and uh, if, if I can stay awake long enough, I, I might check this out. But uh, otherwise, I anticipate checking out the back of my eyelids at that point. Well, I think another hallmark of a trap game, though, is who the favorite has to play next week. And watch it as a home game with a very, very talented, if not erratic, USC team mm-hmm. up there in Seattle in a week. And, you know, mm-hmm. if Washington wins this game, you're probably thinking that's where game day is going to be for that game in Seattle. Uh, might be getting a little bit ahead of themselves here, especially coming off of that, uh, you know, really tough game in Utah. And they're, they're going to they're be worn down. You know, that was a night game, and – uh, you know, it's going to be you know another night game for them. So, um, I, Cal or sorry, Washington seventeen point favorites here. I really like Cal, uh, if not to win, obviously to cover. So, I think they can keep it close. Um, you know, especially if Washington is still a little run down from their tilt last week against Utah. Have you guys seen the bobbleheads Cal is giving out for the game? No, I haven't. What are they? Uh, you remember a few years ago, well, probably more than a few years ago now, probably a decade ago, uh, Marshawn Lynch scored a touchdown at the end of the game and to celebrate grabbed the injury cart and was driving it around? Yes. <laughs> yes, so my favorite celebration of all time, yes. Their bobblehead is Marshawn Lynch sitting on an injury cart with a little steering wheel and everything. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it, might be worth, that. it might be worth me heading up to Berkeley for the weekend just for that. First 10,000 fans get one. Go up and get us three. All right. Please, Uh, Matt. Well, we've got another night game uh, to start off our Deep Roots uh, segment, and that is in Baton Rouge, Death Valley, where the resurgent uh, LSU Tigers, the number 13 Tigers under Coach Ed Orgeron. He's from the Bayou. They're the Bayou Bengals. It's a match made in heaven. They host number one with a bullet. Crimson Tide, uh, and it is going to be an absolutely brutal game with some of the most talented players in the country. And, uh, you know, obviously Alabama, the big favorite heading into this. But, Coach, what does LSU need to do to pull off the upset? Well, they need to, they need to find an answer for Jalen Hurts. Nobody has so far. Um, they got to find an answer for him because he's kind of been, even though they, they've relied heavily on, on the run game with uh, Damian Williams and that whole crew, you know, just got to, you know, Jalen Hurts is the guy that kind of sits back in the cut and just all of a sudden he's off and running or he's throwing over your head or he's doing something because you're so focused on stopping the run, which they do such a good job of do, of, of uh, executing, that it just messes you up. So if they can find an answer for Jalen Hurts, I think first and foremost, turn Alabama into a one-dimensional team, then you give yourself a chance. Um, but, uh, you know, they just got to – you know, they play with the same amount of energy they've been playing with lately. And, you know, they, what they've done a good job of is, is really just getting after the quarterback. So this kind of goes into what uh, they need to do. Um, and Jalen Hurts is a, is a true freshman, as everybody knows at this point. If you don't, there's a rock you need to crawl out from under uh, to figure that out. But, um, 
if they can rattle him, hit him a few times, pressure him, uh, give him some stuff that he's never seen before, you know, they can really give themselves a chance here and, uh, and win this game. Because LSU, naturally, they struggle. Um, they struggle at home lately. They struggle on the road. They, they could probably go to a neutral site to struggle with, with, uh, with Alabama. So um, it's going to be a physical, you know, two chin strap type game. It's going to be, you know, if you like defensive football, this is probably going to be the game for you because there's going to be a lot of hitting. Uh, but for, for LSU, they really just got to get pressure on Jalen Hurts. And then uh, offensively, they've, they've got to find a way to get Fournette going. I, I mean, Fournette. I would be astonished if Fournette had less than 30 carries. Yes, and, and if he had less than 30 carries, I would be not only astonished, but I would be disappointed. In the, in the and I can pretty much guarantee you it would be a loss. Yeah, and, and you got to find other ways to get him touches too because, you know, 30 carries up the middle uh, running ISO is not going not gonna to happen either. They've got to figure out and mix up how they get the ball to Fournette because Fournette is far away. Uh, and I know this is uh, – I know I'm putting on my captain obvious hat when I say this, but he's far and away their best player. He's far and away their biggest weapon. Um, and they need to far and away figure out how, different ways to use him. Um, and they're going to have to. They're going to have to get a little creative here because Alabama defensively, for as good as they are offensively, for as physical and fast and, and electric as they are on offense, they're exact, exactly the same on defense. You know, they, they probably scored more touchdowns defensively than Purdue has scored all year offensively. So, you know, it's, I mean, it's – What's uh, their streak now? Ten games in a row with a non-offensive touchdown? Something like yeah, that? Yeah, it's ridiculous, you know. Um, and, and you have a uh, – and they're not they're not a they're not a overly veteran bunch either. I mean, one of their big-time playmakers is just a sophomore, Minka Fitzpatrick. And, and he, you know, he, it's just – they've got him all over the place. And, you know, they just really – I've never seen anything like it. You know, just, you know, you think Alabama graduates a whole bunch of people. They lose a whole bunch of people to the league. And, you know, here here comes the next group. You know, they're going to get probably another eight, nine, or ten guys drafted from this team next year. I mean, it's just, it's a a vicious cycle that's just, you know. And the effect they have on their opponents after they beat them down so hard is that, you know, you look at everybody they've played. Ole Miss, what has Ole Miss done since they played Alabama? They've gone completely in the tank. Arkansas the same. Uh, everybody they've played has gone into the tank after they played Alabama. It's it's one of the I don't know what it is, but Kentucky's they the only team. Kentucky's the only team to get better since playing Alabama. Yeah, I mean I I don't know what it's it, it's it's uncanny. I mean, you know, it, they just beat you down emotionally, physically, mentally, uh, spiritually, uh, whatever, however. You want to shake it out. They just beat you down. And, and so LSU's just got to withstand the punches and, and, and throw back. And, you know, they just got to they just gotta hang in there and find ways to get Fournette the ball. And, you know, for them, they just got to, you know, field position is going to be a huge factor in this game if they can just somehow take the, take the punches and, and still remain in, in relatively good field position. I think they'll be okay. And put and if they can for whatever reason flip the field and put Alabama on some long fields, then you know they might have you know that might be their best shot. So they got to be patient, they got to be physical, and they've got to play the field position game. And I think they give themselves a chance. Otherwise, Alabama's going to run away with this one. Yeah, Josh. Uh, you know, do you think that you know 
uh, that having Dave Aranda, who at least, you know, coached against Alabama last year. Um, and uh, obviously he's great with his scheme. Do you think that gives LSU at least, you know, a little more advantage than they would have had otherwise? Oh, I think it is one of many advantages LSU has coming into this game. Uh, look, Alabama's like the Tom Brady-led Patriots. No one's going to pick against them until they finally lose. So I'm not picking LSU, but I'm going to make the case for why LSU has has certainly a, a shot in it. And you brought up the, the Dave Aranda defense, but it's not just that. It's their numbers across the board since firing Les Miles. Everyone has bought in. So they average 29.9 points per game since – that's for the entire season. Since Coach O got fired, they're at 41.7. Their points against are 15. Since uh, since Les Miles got fired, they're at 12.7. So their defense has gotten better as kids are buying back in. It feels like there's just hope now for them. Whereas with Cam Cameron and Les Miles, the defense knew that if they gave up more than 15 points, the game was over. And now they, now they can see that, hey, our offense could score. We can – be a little more aggressive. We can ball hawk a little bit more. If we give up a play, it doesn't matter as much now. So the defense is playing a little loose, a little more relaxed. Um, if you care about and, common opponent, oh, go ahead, go ahead, coach. I, I was going to say, and I think before they hired Cam Cameron, they played that way because you know um, when they had, even when they had Jimbo Fisher as their as their offensive coordinator, even all the way back on then, they, I mean, they anytime they've had a, you know, before they had Cam Cameron, I think that. You know, they played that way defensively, and they've had offenses that could that could put up points. And then ever since they hired Cam Cameron, it just kind of seemed to go tank, on, at least offensively. And then uh, defensively, they kind of just slowly followed suit. I was going to say another thing, if you're an LSU fan, they've only had one common opponent. But, so this isn't a great argument, but let's be honest. LSU beat up Mississippi more than Alabama did. And lastly, if you're Alabama – if you're LSU and you're worried about how you're going to beat Alabama, uh, we've been heaping a lot of praise on Jalen Hurts, and he certainly deserved it. But against the best teams that Alabama has played, Ole Miss, he had 18 carries for buck 46. Against Tennessee, 12 carries for, 120, for 132. And against A&M, he had 21 carries for 93. LSU is a smart coaching staff. They're going to probably do a lot of what Will Muschamp did against Tennessee, and that is they forced Tennessee's athletic but not great pure passing quarterback to throw a lot, and we all saw what happened to Tennessee's offense. I think LSU is going to deploy a similar approach, which is let's keep the pocket, let's contain him, let's not allow huge runs, and see if he has the arm to beat him. Uh, it's one thing to carve up Kent State. It's one thing to carve up Western Kentucky. But his passing numbers are dramatically down against the best teams he's faced. And his rushing yards are way up. When he's going up against a a really, really athletic team, Hurts is relying on his legs. And if LSU, if LSU loses and Hurts, you know, completes 20 of 30 passing – like, fine, just well done, Alabama. But but I think LSU is going to find a way to, to force him to beat him with his arm. And as good as Hurts has been, he hasn't done that yet. 
All right. Well, uh, we need to move on to uh, our next game, which is in the ACC, where uh, Georgia Tech heads to Chapel Hill to face a North Carolina team who we haven't really talked about since they got absolutely drilled by Virginia Tech a couple weeks ago. But they've had two wins since, one at Miami and last week at uh, Virginia in a pretty easy affair. Um, you know, so North Carolina is ranked again, but Georgia Tech, uh, they seem to have things going in a much better direction this year than they did had last year, don't they, Coach? Yeah, they really do. I mean, it's just, it's just one of those things where, uh, you know, Georgia Tech are, uh, you know, Justin Thomas is, he's, he's, if you watch him and you watched him back when they won the, uh, when they won the ACC and, and pounded uh, Mississippi State in the Orange Bowl, um, you know, he's starting to kind of look like that guy, that quarterback. And, uh, you know, he's rushed for 195 yards and two touchdowns. He also threw for 264 and two touchdowns um, when they beat Duke a week ago, 38-35. So, you know, he's done a good – you know, he's found his mojo again. And, and, and for him, that's important. And for Georgia Tech, that's important because – that offense goes as Justin Thomas goes. And and being in this type of offense, being in the flexible offense, you go as your quarterback. If your quarterback's in a funk, your team's gonna be in a funk. If your quarterback can't read the defense, it screws the whole thing up. That's kinda what that's kinda what our issue is um at Lebanon. We have a quarterback that's kinda in a funk, you know. He's a really talented kid, can can do everything we ask him to do. He just for some reason doesn't have the confidence in him to uh to do it, so and that's kind of what Georgia Tech's going through. They're 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 in a bit of a resurgence now, um, and they're just kind of playing some really good football. So, you know, it's it's just going to be uh, each and every week. Just you know, they they've just been grinding, and they're going to have to do so this week. Mitch Trubisky, um, he he's an all conference level type quarterback as well. You know, this is going to be this is going to be a battle of the quarterbacks, and and this is going to be a fun one to watch because. Georgia Tech's always pesky, even if they're struggling. They're always pesky because it's a, it's one of those type of offenses that's it's just unique that you know if if you're not opening or closing with your um, you know it's a tough one to prepare for. And there's a lot of there's a lot of ways they can hurt you. And if they're playing well, you know it's going to be a hell of a game for you. But you know for Mitch Trubisky, you know he's completed 71 percent of his passes. Um, he's only had two interceptions as well, so he's taking care of the football. And Mitch Trubisky. I, I just every time I hear his name, I go back to uh, to uh, what we said about him in the preseason. You know, we kind of just laugh it off as, "Hey, this Russian uh, game show host wannabe guy is leading the Tar Heels, and and he's going to be, uh, you know, this is going to be, you know, if you have ski in your name, you're not a, you know, you're not a legitimate quarterback option." Well, we were wrong, you know, and. Uh, Mr. Trubisky's played a tremendous season. He's going to be all-conference, has a chance to be all-American if, uh, if he can get North Carolina in, uh, in contention for the ACC. So um, Elijah Hood, um, he's back. He's, uh, he rushed for 107 against Virginia in his second game back. Um, he had an injury that's, uh, you know, it's sat him for a game and, and most of a, of a previous game as well. So he's kind of back and, and fully going. So when you know when you get that uh, when you get that run game working uh, with North Carolina, they're dangerous, and that's that's their hat hanger. So um, you, know, you got Mitch Trubisky who's playing at an all conference level. He's not even the focal point of their offense, and that's what's scary about the Star Hill team is he's not even the scary part. He's not even the focal point of the offense. And that's what Georgia Tech's got to figure out. They've got to figure out which you know they got to pick their poison. You know. What 
are they going to focus on stopping and, and how they, what are they going to let, what are they going to let go? You know, what are they going to let, uh, who are they going to let go off? It's, it's kind of like the way they, that teams in the NBA used to play the Lakers when Kobe Bryant was in his prime. They said, okay, we're going to, we're going to let Kobe score his 45 points, but we're going to stop everybody else and we're going to beat you, you know, we're going to beat you 110 to 95. And they're, and they're okay with that, you know. Georgia Tech's got to be okay with a higher-scoring game because Justin Thomas is back. And I, I think Georgia Tech has a good chance of pulling this upset here. Uh, and I think they do uh, just because um, Georgia Tech's going to just play ball control and, and kind of keep the scoring calmed down relatively in this in this contest. Josh? Whoa, I'm, I'm floored. Coach is, uh, is taking the rambling wreck. He must be doing that. So that way he's trying to reverse jinx anything for when Tech has to play Georgia. But um, I just don't I just don't see how North Carolina loses this game. Uh, Georgia Tech against the against more athletic ACC teams is winless. They're 0-3. They, they got handled by Clemson, handled by Miami. And uh, I know the Pitt game was close, but they obviously lost it at the end of the day. Um, and their two wins the last two weeks have been Georgia Southern and Duke. Uh, that's not terribly impressive. They're five and three. There are five wins this year. I just listened to them. Their other three is Vanderbilt, Mercer, and Boston College. So they haven't exactly faced a murderer's row. Um, whereas North Carolina, let's be honest, in games not played in hurricanes, they are by far the best team in the Coastal. Um, it was an absolute coaching joke that Larry Fedora tried to pass it as many times as he did in that Virginia Tech game. Um, but uh, I, I got North Carolina winning it, and I just wanted to highlight uh, Ryan Switzer. I think this is a guy that we haven't talked enough about on the pod. He's incredible. Um, he's known as a special teams burner, but um, ACC teams are finally getting smart. He only has 10 punt returns for the year and no touchdowns. Uh, but his receiving numbers have gone – just incredible since his freshman year. Uh, he was he showed promise as a freshman, but 14, 15, and now this year, his receiving numbers are absolutely through the roof. He already has 66 receptions. That's a career high. He's at 678. His career high is 757, so he should be able to clip that. Uh, he has three receiving touchdowns. His career high is six, so that is certainly going to be threatened here in the home stretch because we figure they have – at least their, their last regular season games, but they can probably make the ACC title game and they'll play in a bowl game. So he still has a lot of football left. Uh, he's 5'10", which I know is a little on the short side, but he is so fast. And I have a feeling based on his size and based on him being Caucasian that we are talking about the next New England Patriots wide receiver. <laughs> well, that uh, would you know be par for the course there. Um, well, let's uh, move on to uh, probably the best matchup in the Big 12 this weekend. That might be disputable. Uh, two teams coming off of a loss uh, where TCU heads to Waco, take on Baylor. TCU has just not looked good over the last month. They're one for one and three, and their one win being a one-point victory over Kansas. Blaming the track on that one. But still, um, you know, TCU has looked terrible. Baylor, though, they got beat by Texas last week. And, you know, 
I didn't have too close of an eye on that game, but you know, it, you know, Baylor's defense just did not show up there. So uh, Josh, is there any hope for TCU though, in this game and this, you know, really down season for them? Oh, that's the scary thing about TCU. It, it, it's a team like Cal that we talked about earlier. We know why they're losing games. They don't have a defense. But TCU has had games where, let's see, the Oklahoma game. The offense put up 46 points. That should be enough to win. Defense gave up 52. So then you're thinking, oh, TCU just doesn't have a defense. Well, a couple games later, West Virginia. Defense holds up to 34, which... I know isn't great, but with those high-octane Big 12 offenses, you can live with 34 points allowed. The offense only scored 10. And then Texas Tech, again, the the defense performed admirably, gave up 27 points. They only generated 24. So now if you're the coaching staff, you're thinking, hmm, is it the offense that's the issue or is it the defense that's the issue? They've already gotten away from the Kenny Trill experience uh he i believe was benched during the texas tech game um so things are a mess for the frogs and i just don't see how they did bounce back this week in waco um when we talked about it earlier in the week if you just looked at the stats of the texas game baylor outplayed them in every metric outside the scoreboard so yes it was a loss but it wasn't a bad game by Baylor. Baylor's clearly the better team. They're at home, and their quarterback, Seth Russell, cleared concussion protocol. He'll be suited up. That's a big, big asset for Baylor to have back on the field. Uh, you know, Seth Russell has really impressed me this year. I did not expect him to have uh, a big year just because of the transition from Art Bryles, uh, you know, out and new coaching staff in there and he's been really excellent and I did not realize that he was such a good runner um and I think that that, that's his game that you know has been a nice addition for me to watch when I do watch them Um, you know they like to throw a lot of deep balls which you know they've always liked to throw, throw the deep ball there in Baylor but um coach we got you back so uh you wanna you wanna add anything to here to TCU Baylor yeah, I mean, I, I think Baylor, uh, you know, I think they've relatively had uh, a good grasp on that Texas game up until the bitter end. I think their defense just kind of faltered in a couple of key moments and kept Texas in that ball game. Um, otherwise, I think they would have ran away with it. So, I mean, I, I, I like Baylor a lot more than I like TCU. Um, if it's a close game, TCU has a chance. But I, I don't think Baylor's really – I don't think Baylor's going to blow them out and put it completely out of reach but I don't think it's going to be one of those games where uh, it's going to seem like Baylor is ever out of control. I think Baylor is going to win this by a couple of touchdowns, but it's going to seem like, you know, a two touchdown win in this game for Baylor is going to feel like if you're watching it, it's going to feel like a four touchdown victory because you're going to just realize that TCU is not in control at all. Yeah. Um, Definitely, definitely. Well, we're going to head back to the SEC for our penultimate uh, deep root of the week, where the number 11 Florida Gators uh, are headed 
uh, to Arkansas uh, to take on uh, Woo Pig Suey, the Razorbacks in Fayetteville. Um, you know, and uh, Florida has been looking really strong. They are in uh, control of their own destiny in the SEC East, Coach. So uh, do you think they can continue their winning ways here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's that point in the season – uh, Arkansas is just struggling, uh, you know, and, and they're a physical team and they can get after you, but I think Florida is the same way. I mean, defensively, that front four, um, and the scary part is as young as they are, that front four is just ridiculous. I mean, they can the, the amount of pressure they can get on you with just those four down linemen is is the best in the conference, I think, and, and, and they'll continue to do that against Arkansas. And Arkansas is already one-dimensional enough, and Florida's a team that – if you are one-dimensional, they'll whip your tail. And, uh, you know, for, for it's just not a good matchup for Arkansas. Uh, Luke Del Rio is starting to kind of get back in his groove after missing so much time with injury. Um, and it's just there's so many, you know, after watching Florida against Georgia, they're just catching steam. They're catching fire. They're just – they're turning into a really good football team. And they're, they're gelling. They're coming together. And it's, it's, it's a scary thing. And I know we didn't give them a whole lot of credit at the beginning of the season, and, and rightfully so, the way they played. But they've really done a good job of just coming back and, and just kind of keep grinding, keep grinding, keep grinding, keep making plays, keep developing guys. And, and that's just what they've done. This week, not a whole lot of pressure on the offense. When you're defense, they do. Um, and they just get after you in so many different ways. Uh, Josh, how do you feel about this one? Yeah, I mean, uh, Arkansas has two problems. And one is the offensive line and one is the defensive line. And that's not a good recipe that makes you a very, very erratic football team. And we've seen it. They're, they're five and three, but um, their, their losses, A&M, Alabama, Auburn, you sort of see a theme. Their wins, Louisiana Tech, it's conference USA team. They're a nice team, but let's be honest, they shouldn't compete with an SEC team. TCU, we just talked about how the wheels have fallen off for them, and Texas State. They're only an Alcorn State, and then their only, like, legitimate win is that Ole Miss game, and we've highlighted Ole Miss's problems. They're now 3-5 and five on the year. Can we continue to applaud teams for beating Ole Miss? I don't think we can, and Arkansas's defense has been giving up a lot of yards, a lot of points, and... <laughs> Against Auburn, it was just, you know, it just highlighted everything that's wrong with them. Their rush defense gave up 543 yards. Now, I'm not going to say Florida will pull that feet off, but Florida's just going to ram it down their throat and get some timely passes by Del Rio. And Florida has the second-best defense in the country. Coach highlighted their four-down linemen. It's going to be a tough day for Arkansas being so soft in the trenches. And outside of maybe Mississippi State, outside of maybe Missouri, the the two teams that are really truly rebuilding this year in the conference, I think Arkansas is the weakest down the trenches, so that doesn't bode well. Yeah, I mean, that's – that is not the Brett Bielema teams that we have come to know in either Arkansas or at Wisconsin. Um, but we need to move on to our final deep root of the week, and we're going to the shoe in Columbus, uh, Nebraska, number 10, coming off of a tough loss in Madison last week, uh, takes on the number six Buckeyes. Um, 
you know, Nebraska needs to win this in order to keep their, uh, their division title, uh, in, you know, in their own control. Ohio State needs this to keep pace with Michigan. Um, but it, it seems like Ohio State it should come away with the win, doesn't it, Josh? Yeah, and, I mean, Ohio State just has so many playmakers we could talk about. Um, and I think people are looking at Ohio State going, hmm, you know, they they beat Indiana in a weird game where, the Hoosiers couldn't get out of their own way. They beat Wisconsin in overtime. They lose to Penn State. They struggle with Northwestern. I think a lot of people are sort of talking themselves into Nebraska pulling this upset off, and I really don't see it. Ohio State is a team that, frankly, has done this, it seems like, every year dating back to Trestle Ball, which is they come out red hot, soar up the poles, and then kind of go into some doldrums, and at the end of the year, punch you in the mouth, and then they turn into the best team again. And they're just kind of going through their own little, like, figuring stuff out. We talked about it against Penn State, how they got a little too cute with the play calling, and Curtis Samuel only had two rushes. Um, Things like that. They're just doing weird stuff that, if they focus, they're incredible. And I think... Hosting a top 10 team is exactly what the doctor ordered. They will come out focused. They know that this is not the season because obviously that's Michigan, but they know that if they lose this with two conference losses, um, it it puts them in a horrible, horrible hole. So it'll be focused. And then for Nebraska, um, you know, I love, I love this Nebraska team. They, that is something that is very rare for you to say, that you love anything about Nebraska. Well, they're very, very reminiscent of Wisconsin. They're incredibly resilient. They've had a ton, a ton of injuries on offense. As many, as many Badgers that have gone down on the defense, Nebraska has had on offense. They lost Jordan Westerkamp for a long stretch. We talked about Armstrong was in a walking boot at times this year. He doesn't look the same, and yet – they're finding ways to hang in it. It's been a really, really good coaching job. And while I don't think the Huskers will win, I do think they'll make it a competitive game, and it will probably end up being a 10- to 14-point game, a really exciting uh, affair out in the shoe. But this Nebraska team has looked very, very resilient. And I just remember in, in past years with uh, Pelini and, and certainly Callahan before this, that whenever Nebraska faced some adversity, whether it was an injury, a loss, whatever it was, they just folded up and went home. And I think under Pelini, if they had had all the injuries they had, they probably would have lost to Indiana. They probably would have lost to Northwestern. They'd be sitting here with like two or three losses and not a chance in the world against Ohio State. And I've... You know, I was not a fan of the hire with Mike Riley, and until they win the Big Ten, I wouldn't say that Cornhusker football is back. But the product certainly looks better and more consistent than it did under Polini, which is is very weird to say because Bo always won nine or ten games every year, but they did it in such an erratic fashion. This Husker team, you know what you're getting each and every week. And once Mike Riley finds 
the exact pro-style quarterback he wants, look out because as dynamic as Armstrong is, he wouldn't be the first choice Mike Riley would have to run this offense. No, Mike Riley wants someone who's accurate to run this offense, and you just took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say that once they get the quarterback in that they want, they're going to be very, very dangerous. Uh, Coach, do you have any thoughts here on this game? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to piggyback on on what uh, Josh said just recently with the coaching change and stuff like that. You know, as much as it looks good on paper to win 10 games a a year, you could see a a culture shift in Lincoln. Uh, You could see things getting worse and things getting more erratic uh, by the the minute, it seemed like. And it just seemed like it was one of those things where, you know, you didn't know what you were going to get. You had teams cashing it in with injuries you had you know they ebbed and flowed with their head coach who could who could go off the deep end at any given moment and and that's not good for a culture long term and so what Mike Riley had to do was get that culture on an even keel before he could get things improved and that's what last year was last year was getting the culture on the right track this year it's it's starting the the rise of that culture and starting to see that culture going in the right direction so um, it's one of those things where he's making the right changes. Fans have got to be patient. You know, Nebraska fans have got to be patient. I know they're not a patient bunch because of what they're used to, but the situation they're in right now, they've got to see the positives. You know, Nebraska didn't fold tent when they had all those injuries. They're still a top 10 team despite just now getting back to full strength. So they've got to take the wins where they can get them, um, even if they're just small you know, program wins, culture wins, stuff like that. Because once that culture changes back uh, to where the Nebraska used to be and Mike Riley gets gets the people that he wants to get in to Nebraska, I think the sky's the limit for the Huskers. And this will be a competitive game. As for the game itself, Tommy Armstrong, Jordan Westerkamp will kind of just be the playmakers to kind of keep it uh, to kind of keep it going. So um, I like this game. Um, I like this matchup. Uh, I think it's going to be a fun one to watch, but I think Ohio State is going to win just because of what they've got, um, their established program, and they've got established playmakers. Yeah, I think that, you know, this was a phenomenal bow impression by Huck, by the way, in the background. I loved that. Yeah, that was, I I think uh, Huck is very worried about culture. He thinks that's the most important thing in a program. So, yes, he does. He, he, he was very much in agreement. Clearly. All right. Well, we got to move on to our final segment, our spread formations. Uh, last week, I took the lead, went 4-1 and one to bring my record finally up to 17-27-1, where I'm tied with Coach. Josh, you and Coach were both 3-2 and two last week. You're in the lead at 20-24-1. We're still looking to break past 500. We're going to start this week with Ole Miss, 27.5-point favorites at home against Georgia Southern in their potent rushing attack. Uh, Josh, uh, who you got? Yeah, both teams have been a little bit of a disappointment. Georgia Southern 4-4. Four and four. They got waxed by Western Michigan, lost to Arkansas State, struggled with Georgia Tech, and then App State held them to 10 points, shut the door on them. And Ole Miss, five losses already. They have A&M left, so you sort of have to uh, – in Kyle Field, so you sort of have to assume the Rebels are playing – with six losses, which means they need to be flawless to make a bowl game. And I think they will be. Chad Kelly is playing for his NFL dreams right now. He, his draft stock has to be falling as his numbers across the board are way down from last year. 
I think Ole Miss responds, and as big as that spread is, I think Ole Miss drops the hammer and wins by 35. All right. Coach? Yeah, I, I, everything Josh just said, both teams are struggling. Ole Miss needs this one badly uh, for confidence boost, and I think they get it. I think they win by – I think they win by 28. They cover, and they cover barely. All right. I'm taking, I'm taking Georgia Southern here uh, to lose by only 21. So, uh, next game, uh, two programs uh, coming off of, uh, you know, a couple tough weeks. But Navy heads to South Bend, take on the Golden Domers, who are six-and-a-half points, six-and-a-half-point favorites at home somehow, despite the fact that they are genuinely terrible. So, uh, Josh, Navy going to pull the upset? They are, and I'll tell you why. Navy really impressed me last week. I know that they lost 52-45. to I know those late scores meant nothing other than the score became cosmetic, but the way Navy was throwing the ball was really impressive. Even if it was South Florida's second unit or maybe even their third unit because that lead was so big, it, it just showed me that Navy is crisp. Navy is going to fight to the very end. They are realizing that while the triple option is a great part of their DNA, they need to continue to sprinkle in more and more passing. I think that's going to be hard for an Irish defense that is genuinely terrible against good teams. I know they've worked their way up to 66th in the country, but – they got helped by playing in a hurricane where they held NC State to 10 points. They played the offensively challenged Stanford team and held them to 17. But, like, in their other games, they gave up points at will. I don't think that they've actually turned things around. I think they've just gotten the benefit of some circumstance. So I say Navy pulls off the upset. Coach? Ooh, uh... I think Navy's going to pull off the upset as well. I think they're a tough team to prepare for. I think, you know, Notre Dame has been struggling mightily all year. And for some reason, Notre Dame always struggles with Navy. Um, in general, even when Notre Dame's playing well, they always struggle. So give me the, give me the midshipmen. Uh, let's make it a clean midi sweep there. Um, next game, Texas coming off their win against Baylor last week, heads to Lubbock where the Longhorns, three-and-a-half-point favorites on the road, Josh, who you got? This is a tough one. This is a tough one because uh, Texas Tech really has been pretty erratic in their 4 and 4 game. Uh, Texas just came off their big win against Baylor. So I'm going to use a little bit of history to determine this one. Last year, they stunned Oklahoma. So do they have a do they have a disappointing loss? No, they actually beat Kansas State twenty three to nine. I think that the hangover will hit Texas later in the season when they lose to Kansas. So of course I'm taking Texas to cover in Lubbock. Give me the Longhorns, Coach. Longhorns. All right, uh, I am going against the grain. I am taking. Uh, handsome of Kingsbury because I just can't get by his steely blue eyes. So uh, next, uh, Air Force can wrap up the Commander in Chief's Trophy in West Point this week, uh, where they're at Army. Army though, one point favorite at home. Josh, you've been on the academies this year hard. Who do you think is going to win this one? Well, they're both five and three 
done it in a very different style, despite playing the exact same offense. Um, Army raced out to that 3-0 and start at the really impressive win against Temple. They had a baffling loss to Buffalo, and I think that hangover kind of impacted them the next week in that hurricane where they lost to Duke. But they got back on track against Lafayette, and then they lost another head-scratcher, and I still don't know how they lost to North Texas at home. That was insane. I know North Texas is playing better, but I never would have guessed that Mean Green would blow Army out 35-18. to 18. And then Army turns around and beats my other darling at Wake Forest 21-13. So I don't know what's going on with the Knights, but Air Force, as I said, is a, the identical 5-3. and three. They beat Navy to get 4-0, and, oh, and we're like, all in on Air Force, and then they've gone one and three since with losses to our darling Wyoming team, who's cur- Wyoming has obviously replaced the Purple Pirates as our darling team. Uh, they lost to New Mexico and they lost to Hawaii. So I would say Air Force is trending down, and Army, after getting that big win in Winston-Salem, is going to be feeling really good about themselves. That's a long trip. I know Air Force is used to flying planes, but to go from Colorado to New York, that's always a long trip. You don't like rooting for teams that go west to east. So I will take Army to cover as the Black Knights wrap up bull eligibility this week. All right, Coach, how about you? You know what, Josh? Just to be a contrarian, I'm going to go against your point because Air Force beat Navy. And Air Force can wrap up the Commander-in-Chief trophy this weekend. And I think they do so. Um, I think it's going to be one of those things where they get back on track. They need this game. It's a very important game for Air Force, not only for Commander-in-Chief Trophy uh, purposes, but for, you know, just to get back on track. And that's what they need to do, and that's what they will do. I like Air Force. All right. Uh, Weston Steelhammer is still out. Nice. Finally, it's time to offer our favorite game, the Guestly Ridiculous Kansas Spread of the Week. This week, they are in Morgantown, where they are 34-and-a-half-point underdogs on the road. Josh, I know you you started like the West Virginia team. Are they going to win by 35 at home? Well, first of all, there's no track at West Virginia's football stadium, so that's a that is a big problem for Kansas. Uh, second, West Virginia got humbled. Had a terrible game in Stillwater. Went from 10th to 20th. So they're going to want to play angry. And as I've said, Kansas doesn't care about these games. Kansas is watching game tape on the Texas Longhorns. They don't give a rat's ass about West Virginia. They're going to lose to Iowa State. They don't care. Kansas all in on beating Texas to make me look good for my horrible, horrible comment three weeks ago where I picked Kansas. Uh, so, of course, West Virginia is going to win by, like, 50 points. Coach? I, I, think it's, I think it's an obvious selection here. I think West Virginia, this is, uh, this is child's play here. West Virginia coming off of a loss. I think it's, uh, I think it's easy pickings. I think they're going to score 35-plus. I think they're going to beat Kansas by – 
All right, uh, let's make it a sweep for the Mountaineers uh, on my end. So that's going to do it for our uh, Week 10 preview here on Elite of Motion. So on behalf of the coach, Corey Burton in Nashville, Tennessee, and our blogger from Big Ten Accounting, Josh Cook in Chicago, Illinois, this is Professor. Saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.